Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, the day the Earth stood still. In the year 1951, the Earth stood still. Right? Um, I think it does that in the Bible too, but it's very different circumstances. I remember my granddad telling me that if the Earth stopped spinning, we'd all fly into space. <laughs> Not correct. Don't worry. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> gravity came into mind a second later. Yeah, but uh, it's, yeah, it's not centrifugal. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, was like, uh, I I just remember the graviton. You know, Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, getting twirled around the graviton. You know, making me think about physics at a young age, and also <laughs> about hurling when I got out. So, <laughs> <laughs> isn't that an Olympic sport? It should be because that would be a cool Olympic sport. The graviton, then you have to like do laps on the around the walls. That would, you know what? I think you figured out the next summer Olympics there. And who are you? This is Matt. This is Luke. <laughs> this is the Sci Fi Sanctuary. And hello, Eric Stillwell, to join us. Hello. Again. Um, of course, you, uh, we should, since we're not doing a Trek film today, we need to point out that you are a, uh, uh, our, one of our, our Trek dudes, writer of yesterday's Enterprise coming in to do interaction with us and the movie itself. Very cool. So thanks for coming back. As I said, we see you traveling around a lot. So I thought I'd just pin you down when you weren't. <laughs> well, you're welcome. You joined us for the first time back in December, 2020 to talk about yesterday's wow. enterprise. And that Christmas I bought Matt for Christmas, a very nice model of the enterprise C. Matt, what's wow. happened with that model in the past year and two months? I see it every day because it's next to all of my underwear. Is it out of its box yet? I took it out once. Okay. Now, I do want to say that when we talked well, to Eric, your, your note was there was never a model of the Enterprise C Eagle Moss style with like the lights and stuff like already built where I'm like, <laughs> I have to go buy glue and like learn things. Basically, I bought Matt a quite <laughs> expensive model kit a year and two months ago and he hasn't taken it out of the box. Yet. But I do appreciate it all the and time. I just wanted to publicly call him out for that. <laughs> Well, I'm waiting for mine to come. I, I, <laughs> be, I'm supposed to be getting an XL size one that's already in the box. Oh, nice. Yeah. Right. With the lights, yeah? I don't know if it has. Oh, lights. no, lights. Okay. Okay. Lights would be cool, too. But yeah, that, so basically, this is the one that you were saying didn't exist last time. So that's pretty cool. No, no, I'm saying I, you I, said I, it had lights. Okay. And it doesn't have lights. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the uh, 1701 model that I have, if you press the dome it lights up that's and, a, and then yes, and then william shatner says something like space the final frontier okay cool <laughs> um of course today we we now this is not a trek movie but we will be tying it in a fair amount to trek um the director robert weiss also made the motion picture um day there still is very much a stalwart of sci-fi um just before he came on we were noting like we did the thing from another world a few months ago and we're like, what, what was the sci-fi before this? Did the forties have any sci-fi? And, and I looked and uh, apparently in Hollywood, the last big budget sci-fis between um, day there is still and thing from another world was um, just, just, Oh God, the name is It's 1930. Just believe or something like that, which is a musical. Mm. It's a comedy. It's a sci-fi and it's apparently a disaster. You can watch on YouTube. I'm sure we'll <laughs> do that sooner than later, but <laughs> May, yeah, sorry, the name is escaped, but yeah, this really was the start of sci-fi in Hollywood. Yeah, because I guess before that was the serials, which were pretty but low yeah, budget, yeah, but not with a big budget sci-fi. But um, uh, we like to do it when we first saw this. This one, I, I'm, it's hard for me to know where I saw it because 
I guess it was on TV when I was a kid in the 80s. And then it was it was kind of hard to find on home media. I think I actually had in the early 2000s, like had to send like proof of purchases to get this. <laughs> I got this in uh, Sunrise, the 1927 Murnau silent film with my proof of purchases. So this was one of those like it was it, everyone knew the movie, but it's really hard to find. So watching it last night or two nights ago or whatever, I think it was only like the third or maybe the third time I'd seen it. <laughs> Well, I watched it again yesterday, and I think it's the first time I've seen it in 40 years. <laughs> but I forgot how old it was. <laughs> it's in black and white, man. <laughs> well, you know, back in the 70s, it was only 20, 25 years old. Mm. Now it's how old? 70? Yeah. yeah you, it should have been 70th anniversary last year. Yeah, if you were to find, like, from how far we are removed from this film, you know, if you went the other way, a movie to relate to that would be nothing because there were no movies. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, Luke, how about for you? So I definitely did watch this as a kid. It must have just come up on TV. Mm. It's the sort of film that does. Um, and I remember around the time the Keanu Reeves one came out, deliberately watching this one. So I don't know if it, I looked through the TV guide and it was on or if I picked up a DVD. So I think this was probably my third time of watching. It's one of those films like Rocky where you watch it and you're like, oh, this is so generic. And then you're like, oh, no, this is inventing all of these things that I think are generic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's a nicer way of saying it. it's so old. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a period piece. <laughs> but it's not like unwatchably old. It's a fun little film. No, I've, I've been, I, I mean often for holidays i'll put on like you know 30s gangster film so mm. you know I'm, I'm down for some old hollywood here and there <laughs> well I, I i forgot that uh patricia neal was in it and i sort of thought that was kind of cool because trisha o'neill was in yesterday's enterprise <laughs> oh, right <laughs> <laughs> okay so this film I'm is 70 years old mm -hmm. the first film the first recorded video was 1888 so that is less than 70 years before this film. Good, because I wasn't so you sure were, if my you math were correct. Correct or not. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and you know, again, I, I've been looking at, like, Twilight Zones with early space travel. Which it's just weird to watch some of the sci-fi. Now that space, well, at least, like, you know, near-Earth space travel is, like, pretty much assumed, hmm. just, you know, all these things that were, like, space is, like, this great unknown is... It's a little bit weird to watch now. The pressing thing to think is that in the 71 years since this film, we have not listened to its message. No, we should have been annihilated yeah. by now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, the, fun, well, the funny thing was when I was watching, and you have to put it into the context of the time, it was only four years after the Roswell incident, mm. which was probably sort of a big deal back in those days. I mean, it's still a big deal, but um, back then, I think there was still some like flying saucer hysteria kind of stuff happening yeah. when was uh when was uh george uh, or hg uh, wells war of the worlds broadcast um so the hg wells book was in like 1898 broadcast i think was in the i want to say the 30s 38 or 39 38. but the movie was right this time <laughs> oh, 53 so two years after this okay so, yeah. so what was interesting to me was it was almost uh, the the ideology of the alien who came to Earth was reminiscent to me of the Federation. Mm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> to say we have this group of planets and we want to protect ourselves from you guys because you've got the technology now that can is, is destroy this worlds. The origin of the the UFO lands, but it comes in peace. Pretty much, I, I well, I would. I'm sure 40s like pop magazines. I'm that. sure I had it in literature, yeah. But yeah. in terms of on screen, before this, in this, in this case, he said, "Take me to your leaders." Not yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but still, he landed in Washington D.C. of all places. So yeah. Well, about a year ago, we looked at. Uh, you mentioned H.G. Wells, and we looked at the uh, the movie of Things to Come, which was again 38, 39, and when they have the guy arriving from the. Um, from the 
there's like utopia. super society of yeah the super si- the science society to come to the uh people have kind of fallen back in the dark ages it's very much the same where he kind of lands and they kind of imprison him for a while and yeah in this case they're all earthlings we, we we're mm-hmm. not going extraterrestrial but uh that's definitely a good through line of that that hg wells uh trope and that line from there to here <laughs> so i guess i should talk about um how we came to be discussing <laughs> the day the earth stood still and it, it goes back about 40 years to when i was in college and i was taking um a, a, a class where we had to write a comparative essay and i think i was a freshman and i thought well i'm gonna compare something to star trek (laughs) but one of the requirements was the two things that you were going to compare had to have some commonalities so i thought i'm going to compare star trek the motion picture with the day the earth stood still because they're both sci-fi and they were both directed by the same director robert wise so that's where this the premise for this discussion came from but then after watching uh, both of the movies again yesterday, I thought, wow, that's a really thin <laughs> premise. So it, well, it, what that, Matt was saying was this kind of has more in common with like an episode of TLS like than it you, does with the motion if picture. If you think of Katu as sort of being Kirk coming down and making a first contact and getting in prison for a while and escaping and living with the people, that that. I'm like, wow, if you just kind of flip this a little bit and make this the alien planet, it actually does feel like a Star Trek episode. You know, Gort could be yeah. basically like what Spock or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're almost like the Vulcans who came to Earth, right? Mm, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and sounds sort of primitive civilization who, <laughs> who was afraid of everything outside of it. Oh, Xenophobic. Yeah. It, it, it may have it may have been in your attempt to get a, a decent score in your college class, but uh, we're, we're going to support you. Maybe not directly on the motion picture, but with Star Trek. Oh, we we have some things to talk about. So um, yeah. before we get too deep, Luke, you want to rock us out on the the quick story for those who maybe didn't watch this movie recently? <laughs> yep, I will run us through the plot. Although I think it's one that's probably pretty ingrained in most people's minds. People know the basic beats if they don't know the movie itself, but. Flying Saucer sends the world into a frenzy before touching down in Washington, D.C. From within emerges a spaceman, Klaatu, and his robot companion, Gort. He attempts to make a peaceful introduction, but gets shot by a jumpy soldier. Gort begins to attack, but Klaatu shuts him down. Klaatu is hospitalized, but after his demands to meet the combined leaders of Earth are refused, he escapes to to go undercover in civilian life. He befriends a young boy and his mother, Helen, meets a leading professor, and agrees to give a harmless display of power before meeting Earth's scientists. Klaatu shuts down all of Earth's electricity for 30 minutes, barring life-threatening devices, and prepares to meet the scientists. Alas, Helen's jealous fiancé has ratted on him, and the army are closing in. Klaatu is shot, and Gort goes on another rampage, until Helen can tell it, Klaatu Barada Nikto. Gort temporarily revives Klaatu, who delivers his warning to the people of Earth. If they take to their if they take their warlike ways to the stars, the galactic society will snuff the planet out. Rocking on into the actors a bit, you already mentioned uh, Patricia O'Neill. And one of the other reasons I mentioned there hadn't been a sci-fi in so long is she was convinced this was going to be absolute 
crap and was apparently <laughs> like having trouble not giggling when delivering most of her lines. Well, I was I, I was wondering that. a little bit because the film is quite a serious film and well made and doesn't look cheap and schlocky. <laughs> but I was thinking like at th- at this time in 1951, I assume everyone thinks it is going to be cheap, schlocky, rubber monster nonsense. Including its leading lady. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm amused to find that even she thought that. <laughs> but she, uh, I guess they got the good takes where she was not giggling and she's fine. <laughs> um, well, she, she's sort of the catalyst, the, the turning catalyst of the whole story. Mm. I mean, she, she's the one who sort of saves the day, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah she, she shows she, him like the good side of humanity, I guess. She and she had a lot of trouble not giggling when when, when saying Batu Batu I'm actually <laughs> impressed it didn't lean more into like a romance angle. They have like a friendship, but he's not you know, they don't well, like embrace and it's, kiss it's, at the end it, or anything. It's 1950s romance. Yeah. Kind of subtle. subtle. <laughs> I suppose, yeah, they couldn't show her cheating on her fiance. <laughs> Heaven forbid. <laughs> Well, towards the end there, it kind of felt like she dumped him. Oh, yeah, she definitely dumped him and with and good went reason. Back, and went back to the spaceman. But then there was that classic, you know, 50s sci-fi moment where she falls over and sc- screams, ah! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Before delivering her her vital message to, to Gord. And there was another actress in line for that, which I want to say was maybe uh, Forbidden Planets. Is that, is that Anne Francis? In Forbidden Planet. I don't know, dude. Okay, I, I, hopefully I'm right about that. You know, feel free to tell me I'm wrong uh, by whatever communication means. But um, yeah, I, I was. You can at least like put her into this role and hmm. see how that. I mean, it would have worked fine, but uh, it, it, no flaw against the film. The other one, um, the for Klaatu's role, there were some other thoughts. Um, okay. Claude Rains was in line. They they actually kind of did one someone with a with with a classier accent playing the role mm. but uh kind of went for choosing um you just Michael Rennie Michael Rennie um because he wasn't well known in the states and ah. so that would make him seem like more alien I uh, I love him in this role because he's just got this bemused like parenty like patronizing attitude to all the humans around him whenever they're threatening him or try, he's just like <laughs> like a little smirk or a little giggle. It, it's very best. It's quite Doctor Who. Yeah, as well say so his reaction to Lord. humans is very Doctor Who. Just like, ah, well, you know, you'll grow out of it. Well, well, and it's also interesting. They made no attempt to make him more alien. Like mm. it's like all humanoids in the universe look exactly like humans. <laughs> Although it, it seems he, he says two hundred and fifty million miles, which. Mars is 410. So um, again, they're, they're getting their numbers a little off here, but he's got to be pretty close by. It's got to be Venus or Mars for him, basically. Right. Or Interesting. Keeping in the solar system. And, and again, I think that's just a 50 sci-fi convention. I've been noticing yeah. more and more where they, they really didn't think about the numbers that hard. <laughs> well, and one of the newspapers that they show with the headlines was, it said man from Mars on it. Yeah. Yeah. So but 1951, maybe you'd assume everyone was from Mars. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned the sci-fi hysteria a little bit, and it, it was 1950 or 1951 where there was the um, the lights above Washington D.C. incident, which mm-hmm. may, maybe you've heard about. I, I think I've probably seen. Yeah, which does have official sure. accounts of it, so that that's kind of interesting. That that would have definitely been on the mind of the people making this. Uh, none of it filmed in Washington, by the way. Um, <laughs> second unit went there, but none of the actors went there. So when they're at the Lincoln Memorial, that's that's just back screen okay. from the second unit. <laughs> well, and apparently back then people just sat in the grass on the causeways next to roads and <laughs> yeah. lounged around. <laughs> people yeah. were just having a good old time there. I, I, I don't know. I guess, well, it's not Washington, D.C., but I, I kind of do that. Uh, we, we, you know, we have the cherry blossoms in spring and my family and I sometimes will just, you know, plop on right next to the street, next to a river and uh, do the thing, <laughs> which is eating fried chicken and drinking. So, <laughs> um, I will say this film has a child actor in it. He was all right. 
He was there. He was pretty good. Yeah. Because um, he, he later on was in a TV series, Father Knows Best. Okay. Yeah, Billy Gray is the actor's name. Bobby Watson is the character. But, you know, people often talk about, like, Spielberg era. Spielberg was so good at getting kids to perform. I'm sure this, this kid's not doing any great acting or whatever. But he wasn't annoying or anything. And I, I actually, in terms of the character, just like, what a nice, cheerful kid. Whatever they said, he's just like, okay. My favorite line okay. was when he said to uh, the guy, the alien, mm. who was going by Carpenter at that time, you don't seem to know much about anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that shows you're an alien. <laughs> That's how you reveal yourself. Um, do look up the name for this guy because he has the best name ever. But uh, Gort was played by a guy who was uh, the doorman at the Grauman's Chinese Theater in L.A. Okay. Seven foot two. Lock Martin. Yes, I knew his name was awesome. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but What um, was it? Lock Martin. Okay. It's like Lockheed Martin or something, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's just Lock Martin. But um, seven foot two. Apparently, though, he was quite frail. Mm. So anytime you see him carrying people, yeah. like um, he carries like, her, yeah. he carries Helen, and he carries he carries Tattoo. Tattoo. Yeah. He needed help. Like there's tricks, like there's wires, or oh. there's like somewhere like you don't see far a shot, so someone can hold it up, or he's holding like a lightweight dummy because being seven foot two apparently does not necessarily mean you have the um, strength that goes along with that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It's well, plus that clunky costume he was wearing. Made of fabric. <laughs> was it? It was like sewn together on both sides to give it a seamless look. But yeah, it, it seems it was not metal, but fabric. Fabric. But um, Robert Wise, because the actor was not particularly robust, I mean, mm. when height he was, but otherwise not. Um, robust. Said, robust. robust. <laughs> yeah, he only ca- robot. <laughs> robot in this case. Um, <laughs> They, they actually only kept him in the suit for 30 minutes at a time, just so he would not, you know, like... The scene runs when Gort's just standing still. Is it a mannequin, or did they get the actor to stand really still? I don't know, because I he's... found myself watching, like, is he shaking? Is he shaking? No, it's stood very still. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure they probably just had, like, a stuffed version that they would have. Yeah. The scenes where he's standing still. That's right. Dumb thing to care about. But I just remember thinking that as I was watching it. Like, But considering he was only in the suit for three minutes at a time, you may very well be right on that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I'm just you're talking about him being so tall. Um, I can't find it. But I heard a factoid a while back. Like something like over a certain height, 50% of people at that height are employed by the NBA. <laughs> That's gotta be wrong. <laughs> no, but there's an insane statistic where over a certain height, it's just like pretty much everyone of that height is a basketball player. <laughs> probably not fifty percent, probably like ten percent. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like the the arms race of tall basketball players has gotten so ridiculous. <laughs> Where should we start off on uh, analyzing this movie? Shall we, shall we start with the Christmas perspective or the Star Trek one? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I sort of wanted to, to share the, the broad stroke similarities between the day of the Earth stood still and Star Trek, the motion picture. Okay, well, you run it by us and we'll give you a grade from A to F. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so both movies were directed by Robert Wise. Okay, take. 28 years apart so it wasn't i mean it was almost 30 years later and both movies are about an alien presence coming to earth so basically basically threatening to destroy the earth if certain um if certain uh demands demands aren't aren't met right and both movies uh have a a critical role for a robot or an android in the case of Star Trek, the motion picture. And in both movies, a human needs to deliver a coded message to prevent basically the destruction of the earth. Because if Gort had just gone off, he 
had the potential to, to destroy the planet and V'ger was threatening to destroy the earth. And so these are the broad stroke similarities between the two movies. But then there's a lot of smaller um, basic things that are similar, like the aliens neutralizing the humans' weapons. Mm. Or in the case of Star Trek, the motion picture, you know, we have shoot first and talk later when it comes to the Klingons. <laughs> and basically, so there's the Klingons in the U.S. Army <laughs> shooting at them and all the weapons get neutralized. And then towards the end of the movie, both of them have uh, this moment of all, like all the electricity on Earth is shut down or all of Earth's defense systems are basically inoperative in Star Trek, the motion picture. So there's, there's all these sort of similarities that I don't know how, as a director, that would have escaped Robert Wise's mind that he had done all of these things before. <laughs> Maybe now, it's now, kind of like he got, you know, he had his first pass at it and was, you know, like coming back as a middle-aged or older. I don't know how old he was at the time, but uh, it's like, hey, I can like kind of refine those ideas. And I've got like a, you know, I've got all the backstory set. I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to start from yeah. scratch, you know? Mm. Um, I, and I, the, funny, the funny thing was, um, even though when I first started watching The Day the Earth Stood Still again, I f- had forgotten how old it was and how sort of quaint it is for the 1950s kind of mentality. But then watching Star Trek The Motion Picture right afterwards was almost painful to me <laughs> because <laughs> of the, because the movie is so stilted and, and uh, slow moving and I don't know. It was really hard for me because it just brought back all of the reasons why Star Trek, the motion picture was a little disappointing to me. And I know that they had a lot of problems with production and delays and visual effect, you know, crises and all that, but there's a, it's, it makes it difficult to watch. There's a certain mood I have to be in to enjoy the motion picture. But like in the beginning of the I'm movie, when the Enterprise leaves Earth and Kirk says something about uh, because of the thread, I'm risking um, warp drive before leaving the system or something, mm. before leaving the solar system. But then at the end of the movie, when it's uh, when everything is all back to normal, there's still an Earth orbit and he says, warp <laughs> <laughs> well, the Earth, the Earth exploded after that. That's how the, that's how the human adventure began. <laughs> You're like, oh, I forgot about that. You know, that. That's that's why I need to be demoted back to captain. <laughs> that was his first attempt to get demoted. They had to rebuild Earth, Hitchhiker Guide to the Galaxy style. Oh. <laughs> uh. And of course, they started that trend that I hate in all the Star Trek movies where there's a threat to Earth and the Enterprise is the only ship anywhere near the Earth. Yeah, it's like that holds water unless you're at Earth. Like if you're out in like, you know, Talos or something. Yeah, they really not have a fleet at Earth. (laughs) But but then the other day I was watching a Deep Space Nine episode where, where the Breen attacked Earth. I'm like, well, no wonder there's no starships in Earth. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. In terms of the movies, we've got motion picture, mm. um, Star Trek IV. World's ending, right? Yep. Um, first contact. Yeah. Admittedly, there are other ships there, but still the Enterprise is the only one that goes back. Nemesis. It's not quite as immediate, but it's happening. Nemesis. Um, Star Trek 09. Yeah. Into Darkness. Yeah. So that's six of the 13 Star Trek films involve Earth is under attack and only Enterprise can save it. <laughs> Well, when I was uh, working with Michael Piller when he was writing Star Trek Insurrection, I I said to Michael, please don't put that line in the movie where the Enterprise is the only ship that can respond to the situation. I I tried to convince him of a few things, but I'm not sure it was overall successful. I always said to, to Michael, too, I hate it that this, the movies always have to be like the end of the universe cataclysmic crises mm. like the reason people loved star trek was every week there was an adventure that happened it doesn't have to be the end of the universe in every movie that you make 
like all the things that people loved about the shows they they kind of did the opposite of that in the the movies like like suddenly patrick stewart has to be the action man in all the movies but in the series he was just on the bridge (laughs) being philosophical and suddenly like oh he has to be the action hero now but the 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 reason for that is just Patrick Stewart wouldn't do it unless they let him be the action hero. Well, I, I, I know that. It's like, what, what? Oh, I guess you were there, yeah. yeah. Oh, am I telling you that? What, what's the clip you sent me of, um, it, was it oh, an extras clip? Yeah, I found, there's a great edit I found on YouTube. Have you know the British uh, sitcom Extras? Uh, no. It's, um, it's, um, it's a Ricky Gervais joint, but it has various celebrities playing parodies of themselves. And there's an episode with Patrick Stewart and he's there telling him about, oh, I'm actually writing my own movies. And I play a character like Professor X, but he meets a beautiful woman and all of her clothes fall off. <laughs> but basically, he's listing all these ridiculous things he put in his movie. And someone has cut it together with Star Trek Picard. And when all of yeah. these ridiculous things do happen around <laughs> yeah. Patrick Stewart, <laughs> the video is just titled like, why you don't give Patrick Stewart creative control. Although you do, Picard season one is fun. <laughs> kind of fun. It's reasonably fun. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if Patrick Stewart had his way, it would just be him swanning around as James Bond gang with beautiful women. <laughs> he didn't have those Roger Moore problems. No. <laughs> um, now, maybe I'm going to... Robert Wise is such a strong hit, right, between the mm. two. Um, the one that, when watching it uh, last night, though, the one that really stuck with me was, think of, I mentioned TOS, and uh, the Aaron to Mercy with the Elosians. Where they, um, oh, yeah. you know, the the Klingons and the, and the humans, the Federation, they are trying to fight each other, and they're so we're just going to make all your Organians. weapons. Organians, Organians, exactly. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Yes, <laughs> where are the Elosians from? Okay, anyway, <laughs> yes, I think that, aren't they Guyanans people or something? That My probably is right. Yeah. Okay. Yes, the Organians, and they just heat up everyone's weapons, and that that to me felt like this movie. You know, mm. this one's a little more milk toast. They just stop all the power instead of make everyone's weapons hot. But no, when Gut's stopping the soldiers, that's what he's doing is melting their weapons. Yeah, yeah, that that happens, of course. So, <laughs> well, oh, and then Star Trek: The Motion Picture is just a rehash of the changeling yeah, yeah. <laughs> nomad yeah well then um, where nomad had gone before as people like to call that movie <laughs> it works okay yeah <laughs> but uh, to me that's where like star trek totally redid the message of this movie mm. so the motion picture didn't quite i mean definitely had the alien contact there's a lot in common so it's, mm. it's, it's worth looking into but my my take watching last time i kept thinking of aaron and mercy uh, a lot so yeah. and, and in a good way it's like that's that's a that's a pretty cool connection you could even like dovetail that in with the motion picture if you want to so <laughs> there is a lot of star trek here i mean the federation like yeah the federation kept coming to my mind watching this so yeah well, but was there was there a pop song though in the 1950s where they borrowed some of the dialogue from the show? Pure <laughs> energy, pure energy. Yeah, well, you know I, that song. No, all I know is for TN, TNG where you got uh, it's a, I think it's Orville, the electronic act starring with with Boris. When time becomes a loop, when time becomes a loop, when time becomes a loop, and you know, <laughs> kind of kicks into the techno after that. <laughs> but you know, there's tons of. Um, 50s interesting novelty so speaking of which i just read the chapter in a book about what happened with the monster mash guy okay <laughs> I'm, I'm still waiting for the day he sues me unfortunately he's <laughs> not going to sue you yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um now one big difference between this and the federation is uh this is based on a story apparently where the basically the the Gorits, the robots, mm. or the, the Gnerts or something like that, but they're in charge. Right. Um, Klaatu, in the story, is actually like a clone. Okay. So they only create him to do this mission when he's there. When, um, I mean, I don't want to talk about it too much, but in the Keanu Reeves one, I think they do make more of a point of it as like, Klaatu only looks like this because he's been created to talk to the humans. Mm. Well, one of the things I uh, don't remember from watching it years ago was the part where he introduces him as being a, a, a being from a race of robots. Yeah. And then later in the, in the movie, when he's explaining uh, to the humans, 
they've basically given over authority to this race of robots to prevent any violence or whatever in their culture or society. It's sort of ominous in a way that that people on another planet basically gave over control of their lives to this police force of robots to protect them. Yeah, see, that seems very unfederation, right? So <laughs> yeah, and to and to protect them from themselves, no less. Yes, yeah. I mean the Star Trek universe seems to almost have, have mostly like banned AI. I mean, even up through Discovery, that's kind of a, a point they make that we, you know, Data is like a weird outlier where the AI actually took hold. But Except if, now on Discovery, the Enterprise or Discovery computer has sentience. Right, sentience. right. So you can and and, and they're making it her whatever as part of the crew and they had a whole episode like trying to figure out what is going on here which actually is kind of yeah. cool because in and tng they kind of glossed over it when the enterprise computer suddenly became sentient so you know yeah. I, I mean i'm always going to back tng over discovery to be perfectly honest but discovery <laughs> at least had the with all to um you know have a conversation with the sentient computer and to figure out what's going on <laughs> well i think there's a problem in sci-fi which like dune it's like I don't want to write a story about robots. So I just have to hand wave away why there's no robots because everyone knows AI will get more advanced in the future. So <laughs> Star Trek is, yeah, they, with Picard, they've had to do their own like Dune event. This is why there's no robots. Shut up about robots. <laughs> That's kind of weird though. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to move slightly over to our, our holy Christmas. I mean, of course, feel free to mention Trek at any time. We, you know, the motion picture is like episode number one for us. So we can revisit it as much as we want to. Yeah. But <laughs> um, apparently in the original story and in the first draft of the script, mm. um, Klaatu was simply resurrected. OK. And the studio execs were not happy with that. So it's, oh, no, I'm only back long enough to give the message. Yeah. And even even us aliens can't you know there's a higher almighty power which yeah. was yeah. not in the original script that was added uh because the studio executives were like you can't you can't make him jesus basically which <laughs> the movie i mean he's he's a carpenter with the initials jc yeah <laughs> <laughs> delivers and, a message and, and the humans treat them just like they did jesus <laughs> exactly it's just like don't kill each other <laughs> they're like no we don't like that reason. screw you we like killing each other yeah and we'll and we'll kill you <laughs> you don't tell me what to do but uh it brings us love get it as the simpsons said <laughs> and um i, I was uh, just doing a little research and the screenwriter was like yeah i guess i kind of yeah i meant it there subtly but i didn't mention it anyway i didn't tell that to robert wise or or the, <laughs> or the actor because i was like they don't need to know that but everyone you know it's well i guess it was kind of obvious especially in the 50s yeah <laughs> well often when we have a film that's a bit like this you're like no nah, it's not really a christ thing it's actually more of no this one's definitely a christ thing yeah this one's <laughs> almost the first line of the movie's holy christmas right yeah <laughs> And then there was Aunt B. <laughs> yeah. So it's all over, right? <laughs> well, that the actress, Christmas, you know, the actress from, from uh, the Andy Griffith show. Right, right, was, right. Was the woman staying at that house or whatever. It was kind of funny. She goes, I don't think they're aliens. I, I think we all know where they come from. And she's <laughs> obviously referring to Russia. That's oh, like, I just worked out. Sorry, yeah. it is a Trek reference. I was like trying to figure out why the Andy Griffith show is taking hits because his first girlfriend in the black and white version of the show is is the lady in um, the TOS metamorphosis where he made Zephyrin Cochran. Okay. I don't know what? why that connected. <laughs> the, the, the Andy Griffith's first girlfriend was a Star Trek guest star. Okay, well, listeners, you know that one for your next pub quiz. Okay. I don't know why. And, was, that... and wasn't William Shatner's wife uh, at the <laughs> navigation console after Aaliyah got absorbed by the. the oh, manager? okay. I didn't know that. Okay. I got something to work with there. <laughs> I, did, I think it was his wife. I, she, played, 
like Lieutenant DeFalco or whatever. How many wives has William Shatner had? That was actually my question. I was going to say before you said it. <laughs> I'd be very pleasantly surprised if I found out it was just the one. <laughs> At least four. There we go. Yeah. I mean, I, I, <laughs> that's I, a Shatner answer. I, you know, I remember reading Star Trek Memory Tree. He's talking about, ah, living in my van because I, my wife had kicked me out. <laughs> I don't know if you got a cool van. I guess it's cool. <laughs> But uh, and then one drowned in the swimming pool, and oh, like the Rolling Stones, okay. Ah. But yeah, I am, I would not sleep in William Shatner's van, no matter how much you pay me. (laughs) Wonder if it had shag carpeting, (laughs) not till the 70s. (laughs) I am seeing your thinking though, it's like okay, Christmas Jesus metaphor, because we did like, like 10 minutes talking about the Star Trek. Mm. Which is when we do it more, but I'm like, did, did we just finish it? It's just like, yeah, it's on the nose. Let's move on. Yeah, there's, there's no subtlety to the Jesus metaphor. <laughs> it's pretty in your face. Like, there's not much you can say about it. <laughs> but uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture also had that recurring theme that Gene Roddenberry always wanted to explore, which was, you know, I think the original script for the movie was called The God Thing. Mm. And, and then, of course, in this movie, it's the machine intelligent you know the sentient machine looking for the creator because they're always looking for the their creator mm. <laughs> so there's a little bit of even though Roddenberry wasn't religious he, he was always trying to explore this uh notion that humans always have a have an issue with with a, with a deity kind of situation whether it's them who are the creator or aliens who think they are. When I was watching the day, the one thing I noticed, because because you put Star Trek in my head by making that connection, Star Trek is quite quite secular, quite an atheist show. In general. But this being 1951 sci-fi is very not that. And they have to make a point of saying, no, don't (laughs) worry, the aliens believe in God too. (laughs) They're good. But there, but there's a few episodes of the original Star Trek where where Kirk will say something about uh, about God. I was watching um, Who Mourns for Adonis the other day, and and when Adonis is saying you you will worship us or whatever, and Kirk says our one our one God will be sufficient. <laughs> well, it's like uh, even with the cage. I mean, it's it's like five seconds of the show where it's like okay you have this old myth and then it shows pike like quite literally in hell mm. i mean just in 65 tv which i guess it wasn't there at the time anyway but uh there's like just saying like oh you're mythological you know legends mm. and then showing like very um christian imagery was, yeah. was an interesting move but then you get to tng and picard saying like well i'm not gonna teach these people religion how that would be terrible no one wants religion <laughs> <laughs> so in the I guess 50s. you'd get away with a bit more in the 80s and 90s than you could in the 60s. Just uh, think back just a second to the, the thing from Another World. Did that have anything non-secular? I feel like Which that was one? a priest. Uh, the thing from Another World came out uh, about a month before or after the day of the Earth's film. No, the- but also it was basically just a monster movie. It didn't get into many deep philosophical questions. Okay, that's a good point. So this one obviously dives a little bit. But then you go to like, go two years after this, 1953... War of the Worlds, mm. very religious. <laughs> but go a few years back. Um, no, when is Worlds Collide? Oh, that's that's after. Yeah, maybe about the same time. Maybe a year after. So I don't quite and then remember. yeah, you've got the spaceship full of Christian white people who get to survive. <laughs> but that's because the director himself, in yeah, case, exactly, was quite yeah. religious. <laughs> um, one thing I was kind of wondering though, in, in the whole metaphor, is Klaatu uh, is here basically just to uh, make an ultimatum. He's not really here to particularly make contact except for to deliver his message he's, just, he's, he's not here message. to explore he's not here to learn he's just like quit blowing things up because we're on the planet over and you're causing us problems well it seemed like he'd been given permission to make the call to just end them if they wouldn't talk to him mm. so <laughs> that's why and then what, what was the deal with him uh, helping solve the equation on the chalkboard like what was that equation that was- for I think that was just him getting the professor's attention by proving how smart he was. I actually, I was curious. I, I looked that up because I was like, is that gibberish from the board? And it turned out that is 
that is an un, at least at the time probably still now unsolved theory about like relativity theory about how moving at certain speeds would be possible okay so it, 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 uh, and his solution was probably bunk but apparently yeah. the math on the board has some basis okay. in actual theoretical sure. physics interesting because <laughs> yeah if it was made these days you'd assume that would be a deliberate easter egg yeah, but a film from 1951. I'd assume they just write any old. Nope, it was actually an Easter egg. So yeah, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> well, I was assuming it wasn't him completing the equation for a hydrogen bomb or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, uh, it was. Uh, what I read was it was supposed to be some kind of math that would make interstellar travel possible. So I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. <laughs> okay. So he helped solve the uh, problem to help humans get to other worlds where they could. Can- blow people <laughs> yeah so they can blow people up more efficiently <laughs> well um again you uh you didn't want to mention kiana too much and i haven't seen that one for since it came out anyway but in that one Klaatu very much is given the authority to and the humans are not yeah so that's a big difference <laughs> but yeah here he's just here to warn us but he does say like gort probably could destroy the planet yeah <laughs> Well, especially, he said, if something happens to me and then they kill him. One one disappointment watching it last night when I did see it was I'd remembered Gort going on way more of a rampage than he does. But I guess that's just wishful well, thinking. In I want to see mind, the robot I, destroying I, things. I had way more... Uh, I don't know how long ago I saw it, mm. but it had to be in the 70s probably. <laughs> I had I for some reason remembered that the robot had a bigger part. Mm. Well, it's a very iconic part. He sticks in your head. <laughs> yeah, people think of that robot when they think of this film. But in terms of actually doing anything, he doesn't do much at all. I think we think of the uh poster to a great degree. The poster mm. of the film is an, a full color poster with Gort carrying yeah. Helen, and it looks like some action's gonna go down that doesn't really go down that much in the film. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I was hoping well, that he would properly destroy like a whole bunch of tanks before she gets the message to him. <laughs> he doesn't really do much, and then she immediately tells him to stop. Mm. I, I made a um, strange observation watching it last night when when they jumped in the, the yellow cab mm. and they're driving around Washington. The writing on the cab door is the same font as Star Trek Next Generation. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's wild because that we think of that as a futuristic con yeah yeah even if you said like tos i would be like that's cool <laughs> um another one that did make me think of star trek was i definitely was thinking of the city maybe it's just like period stuff but mm-hmm. i i thought of the city at the edge forever when carpenter is like kind of in the boarding house it had mm-hmm. vibes of that i mean he's not trying to build some weird machine because he doesn't need to he's got his robot yeah. already but <laughs> He just drops diamonds on the carpet. and <laughs> <laughs> It's just what zirconium was with fake diamonds. <laughs> well, they'd it. never seen anything like it in 1951. Right, right, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> but looking at a, a, a um, gachapon vending machine in Japan, now you'll find them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that was fun. I saw a gachapon yesterday. My daughter wanted to go to the... the manga anime store so i took her there and they have all the the machines with bubbles and um the one that most impressed me was the the gachapon machine that gave you miniature gachapon machines yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i was impressed by that i was hoping I it's like that. infinite regress like the little There'd one be an even smaller one inside of that yeah that's what i wanted <laughs> now what you want is a giant sized one that drops the regular sized ones Oh, yeah. contain the miniature ones yeah yeah that's the real dream mm-hmm. fractals i just got yeah. so excited i pulled my headphone out of my own here <laughs> 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 but left the rubber bit behind oh no <laughs> i lost my thought you ever thought no i was just hoping we'd seen more gore but he's it's quite a simple design he's just a man in a spacesuit with a helmet well it's the um I think both with the spaceship and with Gort, sort of the, the design here was to make it look like seamless metal. I was going to say, what this does, which I guess hadn't been done much before, was making the aliens just like, their technology is so far beyond us. Mm. I feel like most sci-fi, if we go back much earlier, it's the, the spaceships are just rockets. That's what we understood. With firecrackers coming out the best. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> here it's like the spaceship is a flying saucer and it's like, we can't see what makes it go. 
Mm. And we can't even see where the moving parts are. And Gort, just, yeah, he's just smooth metal because we don't understand that technology. I didn't quite understand what the effects process was for having the seamless door come out. But apparently, good, yeah. Yeah, apparently the, the, the way to close the door is just reverse the footage because I couldn't do that twice. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of cool. And um, oh, I, I, just as a side note, as a, as a Beatle maniac, the other place you'll find Gort is on the cover of um, 1975's album, Goodnight Vienna, with him and Ringo Starr coming out of the spaceship. Okay. <laughs> I was just going to say in the um, Earthbound games, the it's alien in that is very clearly meant to look like Gort. Okay. But that's also meant to be like a love letter to 1950s Americana. So It just occurred to me, I... I recognize i noticed something in both movies and didn't really put it together until just now but when when uh, patricia neal had to walk up the ramp mm. I'm, I'm pretty sure she's wearing high heels of some sort and i'm thinking to myself i hope the heel doesn't get stuck in that seam where the ramp <laughs> separates <laughs> and, and then i'm watching star trek the motion picture thinking why does a robot need a high heels? <laughs> and then they, when they're walking down into where the V'ger is, and I'm like, how can you walk on all that with high heels? With <laughs> that all was those, like, hexagonal things and stuff. Yeah. yeah, it was like really sort of dangerous looking, you know, climbing down this. this they're weird... still making their actresses run around in high heels when you get to Jurassic World. So. <laughs> <laughs> so that part that part of the world hasn't changed much in yeah. well, uh, years. again when we were at this anime store yesterday on the escalator there's a you might have seen this there's a sign of somebody like awkwardly falling between the escalators and the plastic barriers and i'm like <laughs> well they put that sign there because it happened <laughs> yeah because <laughs> yeah. the picture is like how how no one's gonna do that but uh, someone must have or they wouldn't have put it there maybe yeah, they're in high good. heels that, that's probably the the thing <laughs> As a kid, I always used to get scared of my laces getting stuck in the escalator and I'd get pulled in and chopped up. Yeah. <laughs> well, isn't that because we were all told horror stories about yeah. some kid whose shoelaces got stuck in the escalator and then... Well, I, I just, remember that. We, I was just on, on another podcast coming up with the old style elevators with the, fold, the grills. Mm. You know, obviously the... Like you're like, wow, those really are dangerous. Yeah. When you give it like more than two seconds thought. Because <laughs> in an old movie, it's like, oh, well, there it is. But then you're like, any flaw, yeah, you could. Well, Matt got caught in the door to my elevator on the way into my building today. That's because you hit the clothes on me, apparently. I was trying to hit open. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Matt nearly got rancored. <laughs> the rancor. Well, I think we've well, proven... go to the door. Yeah, okay. I think we've proven my point that uh, the comparison of the still <laughs> and Star Trek the motion picture was pretty thin. Yeah. <laughs> no, with the high heels, we're going to give you the high heels for yeah. your. For your... Uh, how many points do I have now? Uh, I think you get about about a C minus. It's a pass. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you needed, right? <laughs> Definitely watched both films. So. <laughs> um. This is the sort of thing where it almost seems not worth asking if it's held up because it's another Library of Congress preserved film. It usually shows up in multiple one top 100 lists, especially for sci-fi. Um, do you agree? <laughs> it's it's definitely a film of its time, mm. but it is well, well made. It, well, it definitely um, holds uh, it holds sort of a prominent place in the history of sci-fi because everybody. It seems like everybody's heard of it. Mm. I guess this is sort of the ground zero for Hollywood sci-fi, though. Because yeah. before this, it really is just Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers. Um, we, we mentioned a thing from another world, but it, like you said, it's more of a monster movie. It doesn't have high concept, you know, futuristic, forward-looking sci-fi. Thing from another world could have been side-by-side side with Dracula and the Mummy and the Wolfman. It's just this one happens to be from space. Yeah, because when we did that one, I was I was actually we were looking back and said, "What's well, all monster?" The closest thing you can do in the '40s for sci-fi is monster movies and maybe a serial or two. Yeah. So this really is where these ideas basically start for the cinematic world, at least. Because it's pretty quickly after this, War of the Worlds, Forbidden Planet. Mm. Well, there's you yeah, know what we think of as the origins of sci-fi happen insane amount of, after this. Yeah, so. UFO movies and stuff. <laughs> yeah. 
what is the message the aliens are giving us now? In the 50s, it was definitely like turn off the nukes. Well, in, in the Keanu one, it was take care of the environment, right? Yeah, it changed a little bit. Because, yeah, the line was, um, if you die, Earth survives. If Earth dies, you die. So I'm talking more about the pop culture zygist. Yeah, well, or, the or not even pop culture, but where you hear like, like when people are like, oh, the aliens took me on their ship and said something. In the 50s, it was huge. Well, the, the problem is the people who tell you they went on the spaceship are the same people now who are in like, the QAnon and the anti-vax. So mm. the aliens took me onto my spaceship and they told me that the vaccine turns you into a pedophile vampire. If it so makes buy you feel, my crystals to be safe. If it makes you feel better, I was kind of thinking 50s, 60s, 70s, because by the time we get to Close Encounters, you know, we're in a very different world. Yeah. And by the, if you want to go for now, okay, you're in a different world too. But <laughs> let, 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 just for, for your sake, we'll draw the line between here and Close Encounters, which is about the same time as the motion picture too. So yeah. uh, how do aliens change in that uh, 30 year period then? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> do we become like what, a, what a fucking question to drop on us out of the blue matt no i'm just trying hey, to think. luke eric why don't you quickly tell me how um the concept of aliens changed over this 30 years of cinema <laughs> <laughs> well I, I mean i guess if you think about what happened between uh, 2001 and star trek the motion picture it's it's almost about telling us we need to evolve Mm, mm. Like even in V with Viger saying, "Is this all there is? Is this all I am?" And even Spock had the revelation. You know, I I have to sort of embrace my humanity or whatever. And it was like humans were evolving to a, a and the, and the adventure was just beginning. Well, um, this came out right after World War Two like six years and at the start of the cold war but the the feeling was that in terms of technology and progress humanity's at the peak we're killing it <laughs> as long as we stop this war thing we're sorted mm. whereas 70 years on or even 30 years on it's like oh we've got a lot more to learn well it's like <laughs> yeah. the difference so in this film the alien is a human mm. basically and he's telling us like oh you're pretty much there in terms of tech just sort this out whereas by the time it's close encounters it's like Oh, the universe is much bigger than us and we don't have a clue. Well, here it's sort of like, um, you know, we're, we're, we're the aliens are superior to the humans, basically. And mm. they're just like, you know, tone it down a notch or not. But but we're not inviting you to our party just yet. Mm. Close Encounters, at least they invite Richard Drivers to their party. But on the other hand, this film seemed to be saying like, oh, you're almost at the point where you're a threat to us. Mm. So humanity was just at the the threshold of stepping into galactic mm. civilization. Whereas Close Encounters, they put him in a zoo. Yeah. Like, they are, <laughs> they are unknowable. And in TNG, Riker gets probed multiple yeah. times. <laughs> sometimes by <laughs> consent and sometimes not. But because, you know, there is a TNG where there's like the super, like kind of dark, horror episode where yeah. they're being abducted and, and like, you know, experimented upon. That's, I guess that's why I was getting out the change in the concept of aliens. Mm. So... Yeah. <laughs> well, then there's there's still there's still themes in in the Star Trek that the humans are the threat mm. to the rest of the universe, and they have to stop you. But we were just saying that this film is quite unique in how peaceful its aliens are. Look, we look at the rest of yeah. the fifties flying saucer stuff. They're just coming here to shoot beams at us. Yeah, I mean they got some mad in the in the back with Gort there, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But like, yeah, it's still, they're not just like baddies. Oh yeah, like I'm saying, the aliens and this are basically the superior creatures mm. and, and man needs to, you know, it's like uh, with the Trek and with Q judging things, right? Yeah. Which is drawn a little more deliberately in the newer one, but to worse effect. <laughs> I feel like if you made this sort of story today, the what they were trying to change wouldn't be so black and white stop fighting wars stop it would be more of a like you need to make some spiritual change is that the arrival yeah the arrival <laughs> something more like that mm. you know there needs to be some conscious but, but it's funny that the um, theme from the day the earth stood still carries through even in the star trek first contact yeah and the vulcans basically don't show up until the humans have technology that can get to them Mm. like 
as soon as you have that technology that you can travel through to other solar systems, then we have to come and <laughs> make contact with you. So I don't know, I guess just for the first try at Hollywood sci-fi, you know, maybe they didn't knock it out of the park, but they made it quite they a bit of the park. Hits. Like <laughs> they built the park, yes. So they don't have to knock it out of the park because they built the park. <laughs> Someone else can knock it out. You build the park and they will come. I would say that the, that the idea that the, the military overreacts to aliens arriving on Earth became an ongoing theme of many, many, many science fiction <laughs> movies maybe, over the years. Maybe that's why y'all were expecting to see more robot destruction, because this is like the first time it happened. So yeah, it's just yeah, like yeah. a couple, you know, things blow up, you're good to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you need a little bit more convincing. Yeah. Yeah, the humans were the problem in this, though, and we haven't changed much. <laughs> Give it another 70 years. Yep. That that might be a bad idea. Hi, Luke. Welcome to the sci-fi sanctuary. I'm mad. I've been dead for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> any final thoughts you want to throw out on this one? I think I've got more. Oh, I think we've we've worn it out <laughs> <laughs> no there, 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 uh, eric there's enough there was enough fuel in the metaphor tank there to to run it we would have if we had just been like we're talking about the day there stood still we'd you know be like yeah it's a whole movie isn't it yeah <laughs> so <laughs> yeah the star trek angle probably did help us on that one I, I think it really was a, it is a good way to look at it again um you know people are looking at newer shows through that filter so why not you mm. know retrofit and look at some older stuff that way as well <laughs> Well, I, I, one of the things that was sort of impressive about the film for 1951 was that Patricia Neal's character was a pretty strong woman yeah. female character for the time. She wasn't just going to do whatever her boyfriend told her to do. She stood up to him. I think that's she, the other thing that made me think of The City of the Edge of Forever because Edith Keeler in there is yeah. a relatively well-defined character for someone that's mm. only on screen for maybe 20 minutes <laughs> because so many of the the monster movies of that time were just girls in bikinis screaming when the monster shows up or whatever yeah uh, so i thought uh, patricia Neal, Pat- patricia neal's character was was a, a pretty good character i'm pretty mm-hmm. sure i said patricia o'neill the first time okay <laughs> <laughs> I'm always screwing it up too. Yeah, she she does she does get that one scream out at some point. I yeah, but then she rescues herself. True, <laughs> but it's like you have to scream at least once. There's got to be a horror scream in here. Yeah, and it, was, and, it, and it was like the typical horror scream too. Yeah, it's like we don't know <laughs> we don't know what sci-fi is yet. Please give us a monster movie scream. <laughs> um. Well, winding it down, like, like I said, Eric, I, I've been seeing you on your Facebook, you know, your blog. Can you tell the good folks a bit about that? Well, I'm mostly just on Facebook nowadays. <laughs> okay. I sort of, I, I didn't renew my blog because <laughs> nobody looks at it. Oh, well, um, I look at your Facebook. <laughs> so yeah, I guess that's where people should go. I can use Facebook for, for what I need to share, but um, now apparently Zuckerman's threatening to shut down Facebook in Europe because all the countries have all these rules about data storage and it can't be like exported out of Europe to the United States to be stored on US servers and and so Zuckerman's threatening to just shut down Facebook in Europe and I'm thinking well oh well makes my life simpler <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah no social media does simplify lives it's it's hard to get away sometimes but Luke's just on the not scrolling are, are you doing that for 2022 you're not scrolling I'm I'm not as strict about it but I'm ever since I did a bit of scrolling at the start of the year I'm like no I should I should stick to that that was okay. definitely a better life <laughs> So what does that mean? You just don't scroll. I deleted Twitter and Facebook from my phone. Oh, okay. and I don't scroll my feed, but sometimes I sign in to like check things. But yeah. Well, then when someone posts a picture of all the, the Star Trek characters in the turbo lift and it says, keep scrolling, we're trying to get to the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you have to scroll it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just won't look and I'll scroll my phone and they'll get where they need to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, What's, what's our thing? But if you do like going on social media, you can find us on Twitter at MLSFSPod. 
We're also on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Just search Matt and Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. Make sure you rate and review, like and subscribe, blah, blah, blah. If you want to hear more of me and Matt's podcasts, you can throw us a dollar a month by going to patreon.com slash podcastio podcastius. All right. Sorry, I wasn't listening. That's fine. Everyone else has already skipped to the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you have to say something really profound then. Good. Klatu barada nikta. Second.